0: I'm Allie Spears, and this is The Dirt, where we dig deep with those helping to feed the world. Episode 31, Georgia Monroe. So I'm sitting down today with Georgia Monroe from Base Camp Farms, and we are in a beautiful location at their um, flower farm and flower shop, and I am so excited to talk to you today. So for those of you um, who maybe do not know about Base Camp Farms, maybe you could kind of tell us a little bit about what you guys do here.
1: Absolutely. So yeah, my name is Georgia Monroe and I'm with Base Camp Farms. So we are located just outside of College Station and so we grow cut flowers for the floral industry. And so we are just in our fourth season. We're going into our fourth season and so we are very new. I do not have a horticulture background. Um, I used I went to school to be a nurse, and so I have been self-taught. Um, and so we have kind of started from the ground up. It's been a labor of love, and, and we have, starting this year, about seven acres, eight acres in production. And so we've expanded very quickly. Um, the first year we had about half an acre in production, and the second year it was about I think an acre. And then it's just kind of kept going wow. up after that. Yeah. So yeah, you guys have grown
0: rapidly and expanded very quickly. Um, so in a two, kind of I looked through y'all's story and your background and everything. And you come from kind of a farming, ranching mm-hmm. background. That's
1: right. Yeah, I'm a fifth generation farmer. And so my family got started mostly with cotton. So we have cotton and wheat and that's back in West Texas. Okay. And so my family's all in West Texas. Um, and so we, cotton, we, my, my grandfather was a cotton gin manager for 30 years, um, and then I, my my dad, he was a banker for his full-time job, but he, we had a hobby ranch, um, and so he roped cattle, and steer wrestled, and he actually went to Texas A&M, and he was on the rodeo team, and the meat science judging team, and so I grew up on a small ranch, and Grew up around team roping, and I showed lambs with the 4-H and FFA. I did animal judging as well um, in junior high and high school, and so I very much came from a agriculture background. My husband did not. Okay. Um, he is from urban Southern California, okay. and so this has been a learning experience for him. But for both of us as well. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, how cool that you guys kind of get to do it together, and obviously, I mean, you can't see obviously on the camera right now, but this is something to be proud of for sure. Thank you. So Thank what? You. All of that as your background. What
1: made you decide floral and flowers? Yes. So I'm a crazy plant lady. That's where it starts, and I'm hard-headed as well. And so I've always loved flowers, and my phone has over 40,000 pictures of flowers. Yes. Um, so growing up, I always enjoyed flowers, and my parents—they um, had, they had beautiful. They did it all themselves, like landscaped gardens um, in their backyards. My parents also had um, like an acre vegetable garden, and so they shared it with everyone in the community and at church. And so I didn't appreciate it then like I do now, because I know how much hard work it is. Um, And so they instilled that love for me. And so as I got older, I went to nursing school and worked as a nurse for about a year and a half. Um, My husband was in the army um, and stationed at Fort Hood. And so while he was in the army, he was gone. He was gone for over two years of our, well no, he was gone over half of the first two years of our marriage. And so he has gone a lot. So while he was gone, I tried to be productive yeah. and start started to just learn about gardening in general. And so that's kind of where it started. And over there, we've been married now 10 years. And so over the first few years of our marriage, we bought two houses and I had the opportunity to do the landscaping. And so the first house was a new build. And so I was able to do all the landscaping myself for that one. And my parents were really big on like native Texas landscaping plants, low water, um, not necessarily the zero escape deserty plants, but just beautiful flowering plants that were um, appealing to all of the pollinators and that helped the pollinators. And so. That's what I wanted in my gardens as well. And so the first house was a new build. The second house was whenever we moved back to College Station for my husband's job. And the previous owner did everything wrong. (laughs) and So I tore it all out over the course of about a year. And we really, um, I got to start over on that property. Um, So I've just, I've always really enjoyed it. And so while we were in that College Station house, um, well back up a few years, I just started learning about the floral industry. Um, I wanted to have cut flowers. I wanted to have bouquets in my home, um, but I wasn't happy with what the grocery store options right. were. And um, I I wasn't happy with those options and then and or I couldn't afford, you know, having buying them every week like, like I, I wanted. And so I started learning about the flower industry and where flowers come from. And so currently, about 90, well that's 70 to 90 percent of flowers in the United States are imports. Okay. And so they come from all over the world. Huh. Um, primarily for us, it's South America. And so Ecuador, Colombia, Mexico, um, Holland is a big one. Italy, um, China and Kenya are also other big ones. And so that started back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, early 90s. Wealthy Americans went down to those countries and made million-dollar greenhouses. And that's, you know, the the labor is cheaper, the land is cheaper. There's, I don't know if there's any taxes. If not, it's very very minimal. And so they're all imported in. And so that's why the the flowers that you see at the grocery store, those, um, they may not last for very long. Uh, whenever they get to your end user, and that's because they've been, A, either in storage for, they, those roses can be cut anywhere from seven days up to 30 days. Oh, wow. And they can be stored in coolers um, for up to that long. So Valentine's Day is coming up, and already the floral industry is preparing for that one holiday, and I can guarantee you that um, even flower shops in College Station have like refrigerated trucks already full of flowers wow. um you know up to 10 10 days to two weeks in advance wow. um so that's why they don't last for very long huh. is because they've maxed out they've lived their life in storage right um so <laughs> yeah yeah so the flowers that you see at the grocery store or flower shops like they come from all over the world and um so that's what that's i started just learning about where those flowers come from. And that's kind of where our niche is right now is that we're able to grow flowers that don't ship well. So all of those flowers that are imported are shipped in cardboard boxes, three Mm -hmm. foot by one foot wide. And, you know, they're out of water. And so that's very stressful on that plant. And so at a regional level, there are hundreds of flower varieties that do great. They just can't be shipped like that. And so that's what we try to focus on. And so that can rain, we grow 12 months out of the year. And so we grow about 40 different flower varieties over that 12 month span. And some of them, we have our main crops. Um, So sunflowers are our main crop. Um, I'm hoping to grow like 400,000 of them this year. Um, So it's a big number. And so that's our main focus crop. Sunflowers are not, my favorite flower (laughs) most people think that they are but that's not right um they dahlias and garden roses are my favorites actually um so sunflowers they grow really well here and so here in south texas we're very limited on what does well um unfortunately we have a very harsh growing environment it's extremely hot it's extremely um humid where we are and so it's we're what is today January 25th yep. <laughs> and it's 75 degrees yes. here and so our cool season crops um, have they need to have about a 50 to 55 soil temperature to do well and so where we are today you know that's just very hot right. and so a lot of those cool season flowers will go dormant if the soil temperature is that high for very long right. um, So it's constant up and downs with those temperature strings. Um, In the summertime we get hurricanes mm-hmm. and windstorms and so that's very damaging as well. Um, we have our average frost date and so for us that is around Thanksgiving um, which is November 27th 28th and the last two years we've had early frost um, up to four weeks. Last year it was four weeks early and so that we lost 10,000 plants that. Um, in that night. So, so it is very harsh where we live, and but, I mean, it's 75 degrees in January, that's pretty nice. Right. So there's pros and cons, um, but it's pretty similar, I would say, to growing or living like in Phoenix or even South Florida. It's very similar to that. Um, so yeah, so we grow warm season and cold season plants. Um, so cold season, we have, which is where we are now, we have Icelandic poppies, ranunculus, anemones, Stock, snapdragons, dianthus, daffodils, we're not really able to grow tulips very well here because our soil temperature is too high, gotcha. and I planted a thousand of them last year and failed miserably, oh, no! <laughs> it was just way too warm, and so daffodils are a little bit easier, they don't care quite as much. Um, dahlias, we do winter crops of dahlias, um, sweet peas. That's the majority of our crops right now and then summertime we do about eight different colors of sunflowers. Okay. So those are super fun. Yeah. So we do um, the classic yellow and um, with a dark center and then there's a yellow with a green center and then there's a white one. It's actually a pale pale yellow like almost a buttery but it fades to white nice. and so there's white ones, there's a plum one. We're in Texas A&M country so we grow a burgundy sunflower it. for the Aggies. There you go. <laughs> and, um, lots of maroon and white. We try to do lots of maroon and white in all of our flowers just because of that reason. Right. Um, and it's really hard. It's really hard to find the right shade. maroon flower. Yes. And some people are really picky I was about it. Say, I'm trying to fix <laughs> those people that it has to be the right shade of maroon. It, must it be can't difficult. be too red, it can't <laughs> be too purple, so it's pretty tricky. Let's see. So then if we do zinnias and cosmos, marigolds, um, lots of celosia. Um, this coming year, we're doing really big on celosia because they dry really well. And so that's something we're also exploring is drying flowers. Um, so that way we have minimal waste. You yeah. know, if flowers don't sell, we can dry them. Um, and it's also very trendy right oh, now. Yes. With you know, And then some people are more... They want to buy the dried products just because it lasts longer. Like some people don't like fresh flowers because they don't last for very long. And so drying them kind of gives us a different channel for income stream. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is nice. Yeah. yeah.
0: Speaking of income stream too, I mean, yeah. you guys can't <laughs> tell, but we're sitting at their facility where they have a flower shop, this gorgeous, um, uh, thing that we're sitting under they have their greenhouses back there what are some of y'all's other income streams besides obviously selling the flowers
1: we have a lot yes we are very busy here so we we have about six or seven um so we do wholesale um so we sell to a distributor in houston um our sunflowers especially um we also do local regional florists and um, so we sell to them as well they either come to our farm or they um we deliver so we do, do gotcha. deliver delivery routes within about a 60 mile radius um is what we normally do uh, we also do um bouquet orders and so that's something new that we added in 2020 especially with the pandemic um the floral industry really shut down during the pandemic and so we had to switch gears fast um, because last march and april we had an acre and a half of flowers blooming and we needed to sell them quickly and so we started doing more retail direct-to-consumer um, and that was huge for us. Mm-hmm. And so we started doing, um, we actually added in a little flower shop, an on-the-farm flower shop, so people could go through our website and order bouquets and base arrangements um, easily. And so that was huge for us. Um, we also added on-the-farm events. And so one of those was called Pick Your Own and people can go through our website and during select days and times during the year, especially during the warm season, right. so that would be April to November, to Halloween, yeah. um, October is kind of our ideal time frame when our fields are full and they're very colorful. And so pick your own. People can come out, buy a bucket or a jar, and they can harvest from our fields. Cool. And so that's really fun yeah. um, and that, is really easy on me because um flowers are a perishable product right and so without us having to get really big and get you know very logistical with how we sell our flowers and um, the pick your own has been a lifesaver for us especially during the pandemic times um because people cut the flowers and you know i don't have to worry about right. them dying before their lifespan is up so we also have 20 chickens on the farm and so the kids come well kids and adults come (laughs) and feed the chickens and so that's been really fun and that's kind of our vision moving forward is doing becoming a destination kind of location and letting everyone come to the farm and experience being outside and what we do here and you know when i was going to school 15 years ago, um, I really I wasn't aware of all of the different um, job opportunities um, in agriculture and right. horticulture for sure. And so, you know, I want to give everyone, uh, but specifically kids, um, just kind of that eye opening experience to, to do what we do. Yeah, kind yeah. of the ag
0: tourism side of things, mm-hmm. too, just kind of exposing people who would not otherwise be exposed to agriculture in a fun kind of community way.
1: For sure. For sure. Yeah. And flowers, they are one of the highest um, per acre crops that you can have. And I think that's nobody knows that the floral industry is like a five billion dollar industry. Well, yeah, I can only
0: and imagine this. everything, right? Yes.
1: Oh yeah. And so it's it's huge. And then there's always weddings. Yep. There's always weddings, there's always funerals, there's always birthdays and anniversaries and so there's tons of opportunity there. Yeah. Um that we're wanting to share. Yeah. So Yeah, so then we do, um, we have this event center. We built this pavilion about, we finished it about a year ago. And so we've been renting it out for small events. And so hundred people or less, um, we have big dreams for it to do bridal showers, baby showers, corporate parties. Um, I host workshops myself. And so we do Christmas wreath workshops, gardening workshops, floral design, watercolors, you know, you name it, we do it. Um we really want to I've started doing um, you know, college parties as well or sorority <laughs> events. Yeah. Um I hope to do like field to vet field dinners um and having concerts out here, music That's nights. Cool. Yeah. Even kind of doing like markets. We have some events in the works of doing kind of like market um kind of events yeah. with other vendors, pizza oven and wineries and breweries. So it's gonna be really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a
0: beautiful place. I mean, we're really not that far from College Station, Bryan area, but yet it's kind of like its own little slice of heaven out here.
1: That's right. And we we are also an hour, hour and a half from Houston, and we have tons of customers that come up almost every week um, to come and either buy flowers or... We also do um, photography sessions out here. That was one
0: other thing I wanted to mention. Yeah,
1: so photography sessions have been huge for us. And so people can go through our website and they either, we offer floral photography sessions. So that's blue bonnets, wildflowers. Um, This year we're experimenting with a larkspur field. I'm not sure yet if it's gonna work, but (laughs) um, larkspur is about a three foot tall kind of English style garden flower. It's one of my favorites, so I'm hoping it works. But we had a very warm, dry fall. So I don't know that we're going to get good germination on it. But, um, and then we also do sunflowers. So I think we're the, we, for us, we offer sunflower sessions differently from other ag tourism farms um, in that it's private. And so a photographer can you know bring one family or do many sessions out here and you're not fighting right. um, for the best shots. Um, I think at some of the other ag farms nearby you know there's a thousand people right. running around and kids yeah. are running around so so we only want small groups and um, they pay a rental fee and either myself or a team member gets them checked in and we have quite the process now um, but that's really really popular for us as well yeah I'm sure and, well,
0: and if those who don't know how popular blue bonnets and sunflowers and all that is in Texas if you're looking in here this area here you go you found your own little honey hole yeah
1: that's right that's right so yeah i think that's the highlights of our income stream um we are hoping to start shipping as well we're doing um, some experimenting with shipping and um, nationwide um in the lower 48 so that'll be really exciting as well but most of our our flowers we want to keep local right and um yeah just trying to be as diverse as possible i think especially with 2020 Um, and seeing how other flower farms, especially the big ones in California and really on both coasts, struggled. Mm -hmm. Um, We were small enough that we could pivot easily and and have, I think it's wise to have multiple income streams just because you never know what's gonna happen in the future.
0: Absolutely, 2020 taught us anything, right? (laughs) Just to kind of be diverse and um, creative as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so also when I first got here, she was kind of giving me a quick tour and rundown of the place. Um, And you mentioned that you guys start pretty much every flower as a seed and then transplant it into
1: your fields. So can you kind
0: of maybe walk us through that process a little bit? Sure, sure. So yeah,
1: probably about 75% of the majority of our flowers we do from seed. So we do have a propagation greenhouse and so we um, start everything by hand. Um, The only two that we actually direct seed in the fields are sunflowers and larkspur um but we do either trays um so we do like 128 or 72 trays i should have brought one over (laughs) um but we do trays and then we hand plant so the the planting and the harvesting is all done by hand um and weeding too we actually have to stay on top of the weeds and so so all of that yeah so it's a labor of love and so i Myself and a team member, we try to stay on top of the seeding schedule every week. We try to just, we have our whole little schedule mm-hmm. and, we, and we get after it. Um, we do use a paper pot transplanter. We're doing some experimenting with that. For, it's, it's a Japanese made product for, mostly for vegetable farmers, um, but more and more flower farmers are doing some experimenting. It doesn't work on all of our flower varieties, but for, I would say half of them, it does work really well. Um, which cuts our labor significantly. And so that's kind of the goal, right? Is to cut those labor costs. Um, So yeah, and then we do bulbs. So daffodils, ranunculas, and anemones, um, butterfly ranunculas, and then dahlias, those come as tubers. And so tubers or corms or bulbs. And so those we actually hand plant out. And then for some of our flowers, um, we actually order them in. Okay. So we actually buy from other nurseries up in the north part of the country. And like they have state of the art facilities. And I think a lot of it is done by computers and robots. Mm-hmm. Um, but they get, because we're so hot, yeah. um, because we're so hot, hot here and it's hot until our first frost and then maybe even then some to get a jump start on our winter crops. Um, the winter crops really need to have like 50 to 70 degree soil temperatures, which we never get or it's way too late. Mm-hmm. And so for those flower varieties, we order those in. Um, and so that way I know it's just insurance for me. I know I'm going to have a successful crop. Exactly. There's less time wasted, in. Um, and then if I have bad germination, you know, I have the insurance of that. Those plugs coming, they're called plugs. And so usually they get a much better germination rate than I ever would, um, and they guarantee them. So yeah. there's lots of pros to doing that. Um, we did do some experimenting with some of our, you know, doing both, um, like for snapdragons, for example, and Lysianthus, they take forever to grow, um, to be big enough to be field size ready. And so, like Lysianthus, takes seven months. From seed to harvest and they have to be in your greenhouse for four months and so it's just not worth it right. um, It's not cost effective to do it that way. so so we've learned a lot we keep learning a lot every year and we're improving the processes um, on what works for us and Texas is so big like what I do is different from what a buddy does in Austin or in Tyler or Dallas like it's totally different um, based on our microclimates so it really just depends, um, so yeah. yeah. So being in Texas, it's hot, we've touched
0: on the weather aspects of everything. Um, are there some processes that you guys have to kind of alleviate some of those challenges or is it kind of just figuring out which ones work best with those climate challenges?
1: Yeah, it's really just what works best right. for us. And you know, every year, I mean, it changes every well, year. <laughs> it's based on the storms and the, the temperatures and so, Because we can, for example, we can grow year round here. Like during the winter time, whenever we have a cold front come in, um, if it gets below, we'll say 35 degrees, we use frost cloth to cover what we can of our plants. Um, But with that, it's extremely expensive. And so not only do you have to have the frost cloth, but the frost cloth has to be on either T-post or little hoops to keep it off of your plants. And so anyways it's just very expensive to do that. So every year we kind of we order more to build up our collection, but there's no way I could cover 5 acres in grasscloth. Yeah. And so there's stuff like that. Um, you know, ideally anytime that we can grow under a tunnel Um, we're gonna have a better product. And so that's also a very expensive investment. So over time, you know, my goal was to put in two unheated tunnels every year, um, which are kind of the least expensive options, um, just so that way we can start improving our products and that just opens up doors for us. Um, So yeah, so typically where we are, we don't have to heat our tunnels. We don't get that cold. Like there may be five nights yeah. where we have to heat our tunnels and so it's not bad it's really not bad you know those five nights are very long and no fun um, but it's manageable and survivable in the summertime you know I'm always watching out for the thunderstorms and wind storms you know we've had several wind storms where we had 70 80 mile-per-hour winds mm-hmm. and it knocked over my sunflowers oh. and that just stinks yeah. Um there's really nothing that we can do about it So, it just happens, and then hurricanes are kind of the same way, you just, it's just part of farming, and I think every, every location has its, has its challenges, whatever that may be, so.
0: Well, too, on the flip side of that, humidity-wise, greenhouses, right, you're typically thinking greenhouses help with humidity or maintain the humidities for growth. How is that different because we have plenty of humidity? (laughs) We have more fungus. Okay, that's what I figured. (laughs) Yeah,
1: we have more fungus here with our higher humidity. And so there's a couple of ways that we can combat that. Um, We try to do a little bit further spacing to give it better airflow on the plants. Depending on the crop, we may go through and take off the infected leaves. And then we also do fungicide sprays Mm -hmm. as needed. Um, Depending on the flower variety and the time of the year, we may or may not do that prophylactically. Um, So it just kind of depends on where we are. Um, We try to be minimal, we are not organic, uh, but we try to be minimal and responsible as possible. Um, If we do have to spray anything, we do it very early in the morning before the pollinators come out. Usually in the dark, and so we, we try to manage those those chemical sprays as best as we can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so just kind of it all depends. Um, there's really no black and white, there's a whole lot of gray, yeah. and it's all science. Like, I've I feel like this is all just a big science project. <laughs> yeah, right. Never ending science project. Yeah. Measure
0: here, <laughs>
1: cut there, what fix, what's necessary? Yes. To do. And even every day. Like I have a team. Um, I don't know if we talked about that. No, that was but actually gonna be my next question. Yeah, I have a team now. I have a wonderful team. And so typically on any given day, um, it's kind of our slow season right now, but we have three to five consistent team members right now. And I had to add, I mean, really, it's just over, I would say, half an acre. Um, you really need to have more help with flower farming, um, whether that's whatever task you don't like, um, I would probably delegate that first. <laughs> so my first one was to hire a bookkeeper, and then I, I hired you know a, a college student to help me wash buckets. And so now um, I have three employees Um, My third one just started out too long ago, but they do about 30 hours of work a week. And then I have um, several other kind of seasonal college students and high school students um, who help me with weeding and making bouquets. And I have a girl that helps me with my office work. And so doing emails and my website, upkeep, my inventory, she helps me with all of that. And she's a stay-at-home mom, and so she does 10 to 15 hours a week. So not much, but, you know... My team right now puts in anywhere between 100 and 140 hours, um, so it's just significant. Yeah. And then as our growing season goes on, we'll add more seasonal help um, just to get us through the growing season. And so there's just a lot of moving parts, and I spend probably 30 minutes to an hour every day um, kind of updating the task list for our team. and. You know every day like the tasks may change based on the weather right. and what the humidity is and what the forecast says like if we have a cold front coming through we may hold off on planting for the week so it really just depends um but there's no way in the world i can do it without my team now um and so that's they're they're huge for our operation yeah yeah
0: and you mentioned kind of earlier too that you came into the floral industry and kind of didn't realize that it was Um, you know so huge and so much room for opportunity what's maybe something you would tell somebody who's thinking about it or just trying
1: to get into it study as much as you can (laughs) Um, i would say if you can go work work for a farm whether it's a flower farmer or vegetable farmer or even a cattle operation go work for someone at i would say a year six months to a year but if you do a year, you can really see the seasons. Right. And I think that would be huge, especially before you make that step to become a business. Flower farming, and I'm sure it's with this, with cattle operations too, there's just a high cost of entry. Yeah. Um, it's huge and it's scary. And so I did not really, like, fully understand, I did not do a business plan, and so I would highly recommend doing a business plan now, but, like, really understanding what those expenses are, and some of them are very obvious, and then some of them are hidden as well. Um, And so really, you know, spending time and going and interviewing other farmers in your state and even the country, Mm -hmm. Um, there are plenty of courses now online, and, if you need recommendations, let me know. I have I have my personal favorites um, that I won't share on camera. Yeah, but no, keep them the hidden secrets. <laughs> yeah, well, some of them are just better than others. And I think, you know, some of those classes, like if you can find someone um, kind of similar growing climates, you know, if you live in the Pacific Northwest, that's hugely different exactly. than growing yeah. in South Texas. Exactly. Um, so it just kind of depends on where you are. There is a vegetable farmer in Canada, and I really wish I would have taken his class um, because he has like the business side down. And so I think with flower farmers especially, we tend to get lost in the beauty of the flowers Mm -hmm. and we don't treat, you know, you don't really think about the business side and growing the flowers is the easy part, but selling the flowers is the hard part. It really is, and especially with a perishable product, um, it's hard. It's really hard. And so having that understanding, you know, what your sales channels are, and those take years to develop. Um, I felt like, like my business model has changed every year that we've been in business. Um, and partly that's just how we've grown. And then partly that was the pandemic. And so external factors that I know. And so, yeah, so Um, having a, you know, doing that business plan, really trying to have that understanding of what those costs are, I think is huge. And then your sales outlets, um, is huge as well. And so also learning about, you know, if you're in college, going and taking a business class, I think that is huge. Um, if you have any desire, I think, I think it should be required, um, that every college student take a business class. Mm -hmm. Um, that was not the case. 10 years ago when I graduated. (laughs) Um, But I think everyone should take a business class and really have an understanding about taxes and insurance and that all junk that nobody likes. the adult
0: stuff, right? All of the
1: adult (laughs) stuff nobody wants to talk about. Um, So yeah, so I, I, you know, going back just, if you can have a good understanding of the business side, um, that'll just set you apart um, and put you so much farther ahead so and even spending like a year like if you could spend a year prepping your ground and putting in the infrastructure that'll save you a ton of time because if you're trying to do it all building your website if you're trying to do it all at the same time um you're going to be very frustrated and be burned out um, because it's no fun so i've been there and i've done that and and it's really no fun trying to do it all you know i i get up between three and four o'clock in the morning seven days a week and just so I can work um, a few hours before my family gets up and then really just try to prioritize those tasks that I need to focus on um, before the rest of the world gets up and so <laughs> and then taking time for myself and my family you it's know okay. just those priorities um, but it's, it's a lot of it's a lot of hustle and a lot of grunt work for um, the first three to five years, I would say. And hopefully after that, it gets a little bit easier. But um, I think, you know, and I think it's like that with any startup business. Right. right, Is any startup business, and you can, my one of my favorite podcasts is How I Built This, and I love how he interviews Different startup companies, and they're all very similar. Um, but the first three to five years are the hardest, and you know that's there's all the statistics of businesses fail in yep. the first one, three, and five years. And so, if
0: you can get it through there, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: hopefully, it'll be better and smooth sailing. So.
0: Yeah. Well Georgia, I want to thank you for your time today Um, and hopefully once kind of the flowers start to bloom and everything we'll have a a more in-depth tour of all of that um, as well. But uh, if anybody would like to get in contact with you guys or to keep in
1: touch, what are some good ways for them to do that? Absolutely. So um, you can go through our website and send me an email. That's probably the easiest. Um, I am, am very active on social media, Instagram and Facebook. I love my Instagram stories. Um, we have a little YouTube channel that's a work in progress. Um, Base Camp Farms. Um, so yeah, plenty of options. I'm happy to do tours and talk on the phone and you know do some some phone calls and encouraging coaching calls kind of things as well. Um, so yeah, we'd love to chat flowers and plants and how to get you started.
0: Well, thank you so much. You're and um, hopefully, those of you who are listening or watching have learned a lot today. I know I totally have about flowers, things I never knew, um, and just the whole industry side of it all. So um, thank you, and uh, stay tuned for hopefully a tour coming soon. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Dirt. Don't forget to follow us on social media at AgChicks, and that the visual version of every episode can be found on YouTube on our AgChicks channel. We'll see y'all next time.